1: Welcome all, On the Road to Nowhere. Over the course of this series we will be revisiting and examining Wes Craven's controversial first feature, The Last House on the Left. I'm your host, RC Jara. Join me on a trip through unrepentant villainy as we parse through the details of the film's inception, release, and what makes it an enduring work in the horror genre. Trigger Warning This series covers the mutilation and rape as shown in The Last House on the Left, as well. I will be covering the harrowing accounts by crew members of when hampton violence on set turned into actual assault. Listener discretion is advised. This episode, we're switching up the program with an interview. To wrap up the series, a friend and I are going to discuss Craven's film as it relates to our own experiences as filmgoers. Enjoy! And if you would like to introduce yourself and a little bit of what you do, that'd be cool.
0: Hi, I'm Ten Baki. Um I'm a nonfiction writer and a musician, and um, I'm currently working on a book called Transploitation uh, with my uh, partner, Ren Crane, where we look at trans representation um, in uh, horror, and uh, non-binary representation as well, and exploitation films and things like that. Um, I'm really excited about that and I have a lot of news coming up with that. I also um, have a Patreon. I write articles about music and about other films, usually from queer perspectives. And uh, like I mentioned, I was a musician, so I have music up available all over. You can find me on Twitter, at BlueIris04, and all my links are there, including the information about my book. Awesome.
1: So ten, how did you find the last house on the left, or did it find you? The last house on the left. Well, being that it's
0: an older film, you know, I've known about it for a long time. So when I first started getting into horror. Uh, as a very young child, I wasn't interested in that kind of horror. I was, I, you know, I watched like The Ring and stuff like that and like The Bride of Chucky and those kind of films that were popular in the early 2000s, you know. It wasn't until I got into um, horror when I was older that I really started diving into it and really became, I guess, obsessed with it. I really got into gore and I got into a lot of 80s uh, horror bef- uh, was what really introduced me to horror. And then I slowly got into seventies horror before I got into Italian cinema, which is probably my favorite type of movie now, but I got super into seventies horror, just kind of stepping back, um, from watching the basically like regressing backwards. Like I got into the 2000 stuff and then I got into the eighties stuff and then I got into the seventies stuff from there. And Wes Craven is just such a big name. And I saw, of course, Nightmare on Elm Street. I saw the Scream series, which is one of my favorites. And I, I, I just wanted to check out more of his work. And I'd heard about The Last House on the Left so much. And I, I did watch it probably for the first time, if I was guessing. I would say I was probably 17 or 18 years old when I first watched it for the first time. And, um, and then I didn't watch it again another year or two and i saw it when i was like 21 and then i didn't watch it for like five years until um until the other day just so we could talk about it because it's just a heavier film and so it's not something Mm -hmm. that i watch repeatedly like i know some people do who are really into revenge films or really into craven or uh you know the hills have eyes and other films like that
1: Uh, I I definitely get you on the aspect of that. It is a heavier film in Wes Craven's filmography just for my own leisure. I was, I was revisiting uh, a bunch of his back catalog and he has a really eclectic voice. Wes Craven.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. He is amazing. I'm a huge Wes Craven fan. I mean, I've, got a ghost face on my arm i love freddy mm-hmm. krueger um i you know i mentioned a couple of his films already my probably one of my favorite films by him is actually the people under the stairs which is yes. a phenomenal film super underrated Not enough people are talking about it um but then he also has like shocker and uh deadly shocker. friend and stuff like that which Shocker's actually really good too. Super underrated. I think the reason it wasn't uh, as talked about is because the villain takes on different faces, and so it's not as iconic in the same sense as like it is if you have one image for like the villainous person or whatever. So I think that made that a little bit harder. You know, it was like uh, Jason goes to hell or whatever, which you know <laughs> a bunch of different bodies. You don't even see Jason in the movie. It's kind of like that with Shocker. But anyway, I'm a huge Wes Craven fan for sure.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, um, I I lament that he never got to make his shocker series, just because Uh, watching Mitch Pileggi turn into a Barca lounger and then haunt his son, uh, was just like, I don't know. I mean, like on the heels of of having created Freddy Krueger and a bunch of other like really iconic, uh, villains, on on top of doing that, you have this this just shape shifting electric ghost. Murder, that, that just seems like something that needs to come back in some form or another. It's dope. You know, I lucked out having you on this episode because I didn't want to inflict this film onto a potential guest, you know? Unknowingly, uh, especially,
0: yeah. probably, too. Because if you haven't seen it and you don't know what you're in for... Well, I mean, if you're a horror fan, you probably already
1: know what you're in for, but... <laughs> Do you feel like the film still has that power today? Uh, that's a really...
0: Intriguing question. I think that this film does a lot um, in not that long of a time. I mean, this movie's not even an hour and a half, I recall. It's pretty short. Um, it, it does a lot because uh, it plays with this dark comedy throughout, uh, where it kind of pokes fun at a lot of things that really are pretty serious. Um, You know, it pokes fun at a lot of violence. It makes fun of, it kind of pokes fun at the, like politics and like the general criminal system. It pokes fun at like murdering and like rape and stuff. And it definitely has a lot of like, sort of, you could hear people call it maybe tasteless in certain aspects, like some of the things that they say. It also talks about, middle class like america in the 70s i mean you, the the parents at the beginning are like a uh a caricature of, of late seventies, uh, you know, white suburban families. Oh, <laughs> this thing. And they're talking and they're like, Oh, those, your clothes are, aren't very like appropriate. And we are very like Christian and this is, you know, we don't agree with our daughter's values. Like, you know, it, it has a lot of fun, but then on the flip side, you know, not only do you get that look, but you also get this really dark look at, um, at those things too. I mean, because it's real. I mean, there's revenge, there's, uh, lust, there's, there's a lot of reality when you see, um, you know, junior going through withdrawals and you see like the kind of like violence in the relationships that the characters have with each other and that rebellious youth. I mean, it, it would be, silly to imagine a world where you don't have rebellious teenagers going out and doing something against their parents and doing drugs and going to parties or whatever. And also it would be foolish to say that we don't still have problems with, um, this like really toxic, like possession masculinity that we see as well as like this kind of like ownership that like a lot of, uh, men seem to take over other people's bodies. Um, and, and the same thing with that white suburban thing. I mean, a lot of that is really still true in real life today. And, you know, the police not, following up and not doing a good job. I mean, the, the political messages here, uh, sadly still, uh, whole, I mean, that stuff is still impactful today. And the fact is if you've lived through a traumatic experience and you've lived through things, maybe not exactly similar to this film, but you've lived through things that were difficult or like, um, or violent, um, in your life, you know, it, it might be relieving for some people to see that revenge that happens in this film, as we know, spoilers, obviously, um, the people who had it happen to them don't get to have that revenge that you typically see in, quote, revenge genre films. But it does happen in, in the movie, you know, from her parents. And it, it's impactful for sure. I mean, it's it's a lot to unpack. So I'm, I have a lot more to say than that.
1: <laughs> yeah. To echo what you were talking about, about his political messages, in my second episode, I cover the political milieu extensively. And the parents definitely do represent that middle-class Americana that a a girl like Mary would have tried to break away from And you know, maybe would have joined protests and and would have gone into a love in or a picnic or something. She does go to a rock show and they try to get weed. It's it's very comical, it's very satirical. And at one point, her mother calls her out for the for the music that she's listening to. I think what's the band called? Uh, I don't know the name. Bloodlust. Yeah, and and they like cut a
0: chicken's head off on stage or something (laughs) crazy, and the dad's upset. Yeah,
1: yeah. So not not unlike. Alice Cooper or, or the rumors that were flying around Black Sabbath at the time, right? It's oh, like, yeah. it's, Mary is very much a caricature. Her parents are caricatures, but then the film is so violently nihilistic. Craven himself has said that it's about violence, begetting violence. And I would go a step further than that and just, you know, say that it solidifies that cycle, that critique that Craven, again, himself has said he made about that time period is a lot about that the violence that the United States was waging overseas in Vietnam, and then domestically with police raids, and you know, all that violence spilling into the homes of people who believe themselves to be shielded from that kind of violence, right? Like the police are characterized as goofy, but then they can't do anything to keep Mary from getting hurt. They can't do anything about the Collingwoods, doing violence and you know creating bodies on top of Mary's so it's like it's very much uh like the devil meeting you at your door kind of yeah absolutely
0: Uh, no I like that take for sure like the way that it just looks over all of the politics of the era and kind of puts that right on just in the lens just like pretty much right in your face it doesn't hold back um, I, I always kind of thought this movie reminded me of something like, I don't know if you're familiar with Pete Walker and like, I'm a big fan of his uh, movies and his work. He's from England, um, but he has a movie called um, Frightmare that I really like it has like a really like specific political message. And it talks about like pleas of insanity and like the way that courts work and the way that people um, try to quote pure certain mental illness and like things like that. And it has a really like pretty wild message about the prison system in general in England. It's really interesting. Uh, I highly recommend a lot of his films. I just, I drew the comparison. It kind of reminds me of that because Last House has a lot of like, similar qualities of that dark sort of like humor that you saw in some of those early 70s films Mm -hmm. that Pete Walker did, um, in my opinion, um, rather than like a lot of European stuff, which I think a lot of slashers and horror in the 80s drew from a lot of 70s European stuff. But I feel like this particular flick really drew from that kind of grimy, like sexploitation, like early, like 70s, like um, that kind of grindhouse style film.
1: It's funny that you mentioned European directors having an influence on on the 70s slasher guys and 80s slasher guys, because this film specifically, The Last House on the Left, is, is influenced uh, or is, is ripped directly from The Virgin Spring. That follows a similar story of a young woman who is beaten and raped, left for dead. Her, her parents take revenge in her name when they invite the assailants to have dinner with them and discover that one of them is wearing a pendant that was gifted to her more to what you were saying about themes of justice and themes of, of uh, some of the the grimier side of justice and the more exploitative side of justice. Uh, Wes Craven takes that concept, that virgin spring concept. And instead of following through on it with a redemption arc where the father, you know, kills in the name of his daughter and then repents in the name of the Lord kills and is just like, then it just radio silence and nobody can speak afterwards. And it it does feel sleazy, and and a lot of the a lot of the gore in it feels, uh, to be honest, it, it, watching them pull the guts that you know are made out of you know blood bags and sand all this. or whatever. Yeah, the way that it's shot and the way that it's edited, it, with the music in it, it's also violent. Like it, it's it's an exploitation film, but it's also taken from from you know European tradition art house films. But then it's also, but then it goes back to being. Uh, uh, you know, proto Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know, proto like slasher with the uh, with the ending scene, just going all kinds of nuclear in an ironically nuclear household. Speaking of the score, you have the LP. Uh, yeah. Is there anything about the score that you would like to talk about as a musician? Um, I think that it's pretty obvious when you
0: watch the film that. Uh, David Hess, who's obviously in the movie and everything, but I I think it's pretty clear that he... He had a pretty sick sense of humor, in a sense. I mean, because uh, you're watching the film, there's a scene in the movie, it's pretty early on, when... um, when um, they're carrying um, Mary's do- uh, body, like passed out, I think it's Mary. It's one of the two girls. They're carrying their bodies down out of their apartment building, and they're going down a flight of stairs outside, and they put them in the trunk of their car. And there's a song that's playing, and it sounds like uh, like a fucking sitcom like a comedy sitcom like or like a chicken run style like uh, it's very picking and it's like and it's very like fun and like country sounding like hey yeah we're hanging out kind of deal and it's like it does that so many times in the film where it takes this dark scene and says haha like this is like fun we're just hanging out and I think it's because the perspective of the music and a lot of those scenes is really from the perspective of of characters like um characters like well, weasel or krug where like you're getting their sense of what they're experiencing so like you know when they're walking downstairs and they're like "Ah, we're just carrying some bodies tossing the trunk having a good old time like that's like why the music is like that because we're we're not experiencing it as a horrified viewer we're experiencing it as a person who's just going through their daily life we don't care we don't have empathy for this person we're just like hanging out and kill we don't care if we kill them we don't care if we're hurting them or we you know whatever and i think that that's a probably one of the most interesting things about um generally speaking about most of the score in this film is that it has a lot of quote fun when um when it's actually pretty serious there are some other parts in the movie that it doesn't necessarily do that on there's like the forced lesbian um uh so, you know sexual assault kind of scene where that that scene um is isn't necessarily played off as like a ha, but there are definitely moments that are heavier that are downplayed because of the music choice and the style that it was given and i find that to be really intriguing and really interesting um and i think uh, to to a point, you can look at films uh, now that kind of play with that same sort of style, looking at something uh, like, I don't know, a more modern slasher like uh, The Strangers Pray at Night, for example. Where the strangers exactly, pray at night saying. has no way. That's so funny. Yeah. It has <laughs> all these eighties. It has an eighties sc- soundtrack score to it or whatever. And like the most iconic scene in that movie, which I won't, I won't spoil it because this is not about that film, but there's a pool scene where this horrific scene is going on. And I, th- I can't remember exactly what song it is in the top of my head, but it's like like super fun upbeat song and there's a lot of films that play with that upbeat music now um, it's not the same as playing with like children's music during horror scenes because that's more of a supernatural vibe but there's a lot of slashers and stuff that I think play with that kind of let's use an upbeat song to make this scene more twisted and more like interesting and like sometimes maybe for some viewers confusing and I think this movie really hit the nail on the head on that and right now I'm, I'm struggling to think of a movie prior that did something like that possibly some exploitation films but nothing that I can think of at this moment
1: yeah the the goofiness of that film is it makes it kind of it makes it just a wild trip I don't know if another film like that exists in I mean maybe again maybe in the in you know the deeper annals of like yeah, exploitation of there there might be like yeah uh, films that and like uh, there was this one film that I watched just as a context for the scene that this film was coming up with in uh, called I drink your blood that that film is just all kinds of goofy the score of that is all kinds of goofy but it's it's nothing it. like what you were describing uh as far as using actual like like a country music genre to illustrate the story of this gang who's going out and raping and pillaging as they're doing the thing. It's very, um, for lack of a better word, it's very Disney. It's very, it's very like a hellish like Disney experience hearing the man, uh, who is playing the lead rapist sing music about the shit that they're doing it's, it's very, very weird. weird yeah
0: and it's it's portrayed i mean it's kind of like uh that that particular movie is kind of like a play on the cult aspect like it's very like manson family-esque um but i i want to say while we're on the topic of that i love lynn lowry and i love that flick because uh she's in it and i'm a big i'm a big fan <laughs> of lynn lowry um so just putting that out there
1: <laughs> nice yes yes Now the, the cult aspect is is something that that's very present in this film too, and I think, in a cynical way, but in of an effective way, because at that at this point, if I'm not mistaken, the Manson trials are still going on. I think they were going on until a bit later, uh, yeah, definitely I mean, after 769. But
0: yeah, so I would yeah. say so. Yeah,
1: so early, yeah, it was they, they were still going on in the early '70s. So it's like with "I Drink Your Blood" and with this film that there's this solidified effort. That filmmakers are 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 putting out there in sort of a rejection of the hippie movement that came before it,
0: yeah. And maybe absolutely. not in the
1: case of Wes Craven, uh, you know, looking through old interviews and in print and in and in video, there's nothing in them about him professing his love for Reagan or for Nixon. You know, he very much seems kind of like a chill uh, sort of flower child. So, so if anything, this anti Manson hippie conspiracy. Uh, angle to the film comes from somebody who's sort of angry at seeing the the that movement just sort of crash and burn what do you what how do you feel about that aspect
0: from my knowledge of the late 60s and early 70s there was a huge huge cultural shift in the early 70s i I mean 1972 uh, maybe not specifically as a year that pops out on mind, but you, you, you look at like the hippie era of the sixties, you look at something like Woodstock in 69, which was this huge cultural event in the United States. Um, and, and you look at things like that, and then you kind of step further out and you look at like politics and generally look at the moon landing in the United States in 1969. Um, you know, you look at, um, the, the wars that was, that was going on and like the, the way that like, everyone felt about a lot of these really big situations. Um, And I think it's impossible not to have that kind of representation in any film, especially something like this that to me feels like the whole point of this film is, is really, obviously there's the revenge aspect of it. And I think that that's, I, I think that that's important, but I, I honestly don't imagine that that was Wes Craven's vision for this film when he was writing it. I, I just don't picture Wes Craven being like, "Oh, like yes, they get their revenge." I feel like it probably was more so, really, just a take on culture at the time. And I and what you mentioned about. Um, the Manson trials and things like that. I mean, they, they talk about that right in the beginning of the film and the conversation, the parents say, aren't you supposed to be the, you know, the hippie, the love generation or whatever. And the kids basically like, hell no. I like metal shows. You know, I like this stuff. I like drugs and I'm over, like we're past that at that point in 1972, there was a culture shift. The people that were kids in the sixties are older now. And now we're looking at the kids of the seventies and those, those people, they wanted to rebel almost like, against what was happening in the 60s. And I think that's like a lot of what this has to say is like, we're, you know, this is, people want to see the violence. People want to see these things. People want to go to these violent shows. People want to do these drugs. And then also this movie, oddly enough, I think scared, probably scared the people who it was making fun of more than it scared the culture of the people who, who were actually like, hurt in this film i imagine that kids in 1972 went to see this and didn't feel like oh my god i can't smoke weed now because they mm-hmm. they'll kill you like their people will you know murder me and my family i imagine that it was more so scary for the the conservative like christian families who were like whoa like told you those drugs <laughs> were bad told you though that that rock scene is evil like this proves that look at you know and these people made this disgusting film that shows all this horrible stuff and you know and i think that like admittedly I, th- I i think it'd be wrong to not mention that you know that cunningham you know that craven you know that they loved that controversy i mean that's just let's just be honest all their films that they've done a uh, tons of tons of the stuff that they've worked on has been based around the controversy and hey like let's use something that people say and let's make it into something like scary so that the people who Who don't like our work will hate us even more, and it'll it makes those young people want to see it. I mean, controversy is so huge, and so I think it'd be wrong not to point out the fact that like they knew when they were making this film that people were gonna not want it.
1: I'm really glad that you mentioned Cunningham and Craven's pensions for advertising film and and for their hand in creating you know controversy around films before they've come out because you're you're talking about sean cunningham you know a guy who advertised for friday the 13th before the thing was even shot or scripted where it was the just whole, that one page. yes yeah he literally advertised it just to get a deal i mean the flyer
0: for last house on the left too what did it say to avoid fainting just keep saying it's fake or it's only a
1: movie it's only a movie or whatever right and it genius. keeps descending and descending into spot <laughs> genius. And like they had they 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 shot the film as the night of vengeance. The title for the film changed from venue to venue, cuts changed from venue to it was such a violent, chaotic thing that it's you know it's a miracle that we even have a single cut of yeah. it in print today let alone a work print and then like another you know r rated printer whatever the hell other like uh, uh I should know this cuz I researched but um you know <laughs> you know a couple <laughs> yeah. of other prints that are, that exist uh but yeah coming from a place where maybe the 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 kids who are going out to see this aren't getting scared but their parents are getting scared or, or maybe somebody's older brothers are feeling uncomfortable watching themselves in this film when you first watch it you probably wouldn't you know one wouldn't get that impression that it's this big important film because it, it's rough it sounds like shit sometimes it looks like shit sometimes yeah. there's like eyelashes floating around in the especially in in
0: 1972 i mean they they it wasn't feeling like it was gonna be some big big film i mean there's they don't even show a ton of a ton of stuff like it's cut a lot especially through the beginning it's cut so much i mean there's the scenes there's no connection like they're in the woods and they're covered in blood and then all of a sudden they're all they're dressed nice and they're inside and there's like scenes where like you know like oh haha they're hanging out with the neighbor kid and then they're by the river and then they're outside and they're doing this and it doesn't even really it, it, it there's not a lot of cohesiveness between a lot of the cuts, especially through the beginning of the film. There's a just a ton of like, oh, well, here's our ideas, let's just put them together.
1: Yeah. And, and a lot of that comes from documentary filmmaking sensibilities because oh, yeah. uh, Craven and, and Cunningham were cutting in the same building that DA Pennebaker was cutting dailies for Woodstock. Um, and he, he, you know, he's done work with Dylan and he covered Monterey Pop. So they took a lot of that sensibility for The Last House on the Left. And I, I think it was effective in that, like, maybe if you missed the opening credits and you were just stumbling into that film high out of your mind, you could, reasonably sit down and think that you're watching a group of real psychopaths yeah. taking it out
0: a lot of it feels that way yeah, absolutely there's a lot of footage in the film that that feels like you're really there um which is probably just a lot to do with the rawness too of it
1: yeah it's not a film that i think uh if you if you aren't already exposed to exploitation cinema, if you're not exposed to the kinds of documentaries that were shot just guerrilla style back in the day, it, it comes off as something um, that's, that's just almost too hard to look at. Oh, yeah. But out of that, the whole point of why I decided to do a podcast about it was because in the text itself, there's a lot of complications, right? And, and we've texted back and forth about it. And one of the things that I'm still thinking about uh, in our text conversations is the script and how tightly it's written. You could argue that this is a film that's on a lower par in in Wes Craven's filmography, is just in terms of uh, how much less imaginative it is, and maybe in the monster. And you know, he he would flesh out two of the most iconic final girls of all time in you know the decades following this film. So it's so it's not scripted to the point where it's like Shakespeare, but it's very character oriented. So if you want to, if you want to just elaborate on on what you thought about that,
0: yeah, um, I think that. Um... To be honest, I don't know how much of it was actually written. I think that there's a lot of scenes in this film where they show characters interacting in such a way that feels very... Real. So there's obviously the comedic scenes. There's the scenes with their family in the beginning. There's like the scenes like that. There's the scenes with the police officers. That stuff's scripted. That stuff is purposely there. It's funny. You know, they did it on purpose and and it works really well. But then there's other scenes in the film where like um, Junior is in the bathroom um, with Sadie. And uh, I think that's her name. Yeah. So Junior's in the bathroom with Sadie and they're just like smoking in there and they're like talking. Junior's like, I wish I was a frog on a lily pad and I could just rib it, rib it, and all day. And she's like, Ribbit, ribbit, and like, Ribbit, ribbit. And then, you know, uh, Krug is like, I'll flatten you like a lily pad. Shut the hell up, or something like that. There's really no message there. There's no like political thing. It doesn't even have to be at all in the story. I mean, you're gaining, the only thing you're gaining is a characterization, really, of junior and how he just is so simple minded in a sense. Hey, he doesn't care about like this. Like he's just like, I don't want to, I just don't want anyone to tell me what to do. I just want to do nothing. Like that's all I care about, you know? And yes, he is a drug addict and yes, he is going through those things. And then obviously Krug is his dad and pushes him, really far later on in the film, but you get this characterization of him that's almost just like, oh, whatever. He's just like hanging out, doing what these other people around him are doing because those are the people he's hanging out with. Like he he's doesn't seem like the violent person that these other people are in this group. And I think that that is shown later on in the film too. Um And I really like that about the film. Um, But um, when we're talking about what I think was actually really purposely written into the film, I think it's very, very clear that they knew what they wanted to say. But I like that about this film because they let the actors be the characters in a way that made them more real. Like uh, there isn't a outside of the caricature people, the police and like some of even the parents, I admit, I think are a little bit, like you know uh stereotype kind of outside of that a lot of the main cast has a lot of personality a lot of growth i mean even someone like sadie who has you know lines about how she wants rights and stuff but in the end is in this abusive relationship and still is murderous and still you know is into these uh, you know sexual uh desires that are, are completely wrong and, and harmful. And, you know, you get that, but you also get this sense of her character that she wasn't in prison with them. She was out of prison and she did all these things and she read these magazines and she has like her own personality. She wants to have more women in the group with them because she thinks that, you know, they should be equal. And like, you get like a lot of that. And, And I, I really like the way they wrote a lot of the characters, even the horrible, horrible ones like Kruk, who, who, uh who is just a total piece of garbage from the get. I mean, I don't think he has any redeeming qualities at all, but like he, all of his, but his character is real and he's there and he has... He has a personality that I think um, some films like this one don't flesh out. I think they just ah, oh, there's a villain, they're innocent, that's the whole thing, you know. But like this movie doesn't uh, hesitate to write in um, a lot of different um, a different information about the characters that you don't even necessarily. Uh, need but um, adds to the film and its longevity probably as well
1: yeah 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 and uh, ultimately I think that this film as it exists is probably as good as it's gonna get for the last house on the left as a property because it has been remade and um, I think in terms of scripting in terms of how it looks in terms of how it sounds uh, the the remake is just so much paler in comparison if only because it it, it's missing um it's missing a kind of of danger to it that uh, i find complicated personally because uh, of what i'm going to talk about a little later as far as the behind the scenes but it's got a near conservative moral compass about it there are a lot of things that are that that are tied up very neatly in the film it's a little less powerful it's a little bit more product um it's uh the, the, the violence that the that the parents engage in is is much more. Uh, it comes from an, a place of elation. It ends with that film's crew getting his head blown up by a microwave. And cool, you know, for uh, as far as uh, prosthetics and and special effects go. But then it's very weird to leave that film feeling as empty as you do, even though it tries to end on a on a softer sort of like happier note. Whereas in the original, it, it's just and assault in every single sense of the word, oh, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah, in terms of, in terms of writing, uh, I think you're right. It does benefit from veering off course a little bit.
0: I, um, I honestly have only seen the remake once and it was kind of a long time ago. So I, it just didn't sit with me. I just kind of was like, okay, yeah, that was there. And it wasn't something that I even really remember that much of. So I don't want to comment too much on it, except that it wasn't as impactful for me. Of course, I had already seen this version when I saw the remake. So that maybe had something to do with it. Um and I, I like a lot of remakes of films, but um this particular one just didn't stick with me. Um, it wasn't something that I uh that I really uh, connected with the same way as this film, which um I think it's tough to say you you when I say connect with this film, I don't mean you know um, that I think it's amazing or it's my favorite or that I I I love like the violence stuff in it. It's just the reason that I connect with this film is because it is so different than a lot of other films I've seen, um, and it's so like intriguing and, and politically and like the way it's pieced together. Um, it's just a very interesting film that I think will stay around for a long time, despite its controversial status.
1: I feel that way about it too. There's definitely a conflict. I can not um, I can say for sure that I don't like it better than, than uh, his later works. When I saw Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time, that was just, there's a light bulb that turned on in my head. You know, I was maybe Amazing. eight years old. It just felt like an awakening. And then Scream immediately afterwards, just one-two punch of like, just two great horror films with, you know, women leading them. And, and, you know, part of that led to my horror awakening part of it, you know, down the road led to my, you know, just, just gender identity and and identifying with the final girl and especially Sydney and, and, uh, uh, Nancy and what they go through. But, um, but, but I can't, I definitely can't say the same about the last house on the left oh, because I don't feel that, you know, I, I don't, I don't, oh, yeah. I feel connected to this film in in terms of a, a rage. Way. Yeah. yeah there's a rage about it that, that, um, that I feel like encapsulates um, life post uh, my own sexual assault that it, that felt like um, something that I could latch onto, you know, and then even doing this podcast, you know, however, you know, it, it was, it was a little exhausting to do, but it, oh, yeah. nonetheless, I, 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 I rediscovered the film in a sense.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, and like being a survivor, I think there's a level of connection that I have with it as well, but it's just not something that it's different. I mean, it's like you said, it's different. You don't have the connection that you do like with other films. It's not like I, like I would watch Scream anytime or I would watch, I mean, some of my favorite films, like I, I'm not afraid to turn them on. I'll watch them over and over and over again. Um, but The Last House on Left is not something that I, that I, do that for last house on the left is actually something that I don't even give like a star rating to. Like I, I, you know, if you go in my letterbox and I've watched it, I I don't even like to rate this as a film because it's one of those things where there's so many problematic aspects. I mean, even if you, when you read the behind the production, some of the filming and some of the characters, you know, I know that, um, from what I've read, I know that Sandra Peabody who plays Mary, she likes to say, oh, they were method acting, and you know, all this, but I mean, you hear some of the way that some of the other actors treated her. It doesn't sound like it was really from Wes necessarily, but like when you read some of the stuff about it, you kind of realize that it was kind of a toxic environment in some of the way it was filmed. And it, it's hard to get For behind sure. something that has so many dark themes, so many dark elements. And honestly, to be, to be really real, I find it's hard to get behind movies that have such vivid depictions of sexual assault and rape in general um, usually for me that is something that I'm not interested in films modern films like literally like revenge and things like that I, I haven't even watched it because I just like I, I'm not always interested in seeing them because sometimes it's hard for me to get through some of those, those themes even films by my favorite directors like the Stendhal syndrome and stuff like that I find difficult to watch, um, in general, Um, even though I know in like this film, there is the revenge aspect. I still sometimes find it difficult to sit through regularly. And so I have a connection with this film, but it's not, um, it's not the kind of film that I can repeatedly experience like I can with other, um, horror films that I like and other horror themes uh,
1: that I enjoy being in the horror scene as a writer or just even being, you know, in it and, and uh, engaging with people online. And it's hard to see folks talk about movies like this and it can feel a little alienating. That's another part of why I decided to, to take this film on in, in its entirety is because I feel uh, similar to to you in that I cannot give this film a star rating on Letterboxd. It doesn't feel like something that I can turn um, my emotions off and just kind of let, slide as like, oh, whatever, you know, kind of a night out at the movies in a different time, perhaps, you know, as as a different person, maybe. But yeah, this film does have a dark energy to it. It's got a darkness imbued in the film itself. Um, You mentioned Sandra Peabody and her assault on the set of the film as, as being, you know, part of David Hess's method acting, but that ultimately... Not only it's very, not only very difficult to find in an interview of Sandra Peabody talking about this film in some sources, she just will not, you know, and that's like for however, you know, extensive the horror uh, community is and, and, and horror, the horror uh, uh, genre is, I think we need to accommodate perspectives on when a film like this is just too much. That is part of this film's history. And it's part of horror film history. And it's part of how the genre has developed until now. This one is definitely very hard to, um, to recommend to people and to uh, talk about without being sensitive to the kind of violence that it depicts.
0: I think that it's an incredibly sensitive subject in general. And I think the problem is that no one can tell you how to experience your trauma and what is good and not good for you. While I fully agree that like some people can, you know, if you are triggered by this and you can't see it on film, you should absolutely not watch those kind of films. I don't agree with censorship. And I don't think that none of those things should exist because for some people, it's relieving to see something like that on screen happen depending on the resolution afterwards. I I don't think that anyone should be able to say what should and shouldn't be in a movie. And while I think we should respect each other's boundaries um, and triggers in that sense, I I think it's wrong to, um, to shut something like that down, especially, like I said, when we're talking about survivors and trauma, because I mean... I know a ton of people who find revenge films specifically um, to be cathartic rather than um, triggering and harmful. And I I think that... um, I think that we have to respect both sides of that if we want to have this type of conversation and i think that both sides are completely valid however i don't think anything should be stopped from being created because i think that it's all important and if that's the story that needs to be told then it should be told
1: i completely get an aversion to the, a film like this and, and this film particularly because. I mean, it's there in the marketing, you know, you, you have Phyllis's uh, dead body slumped against the tree, dying as part of the poster, you know, and, and it's very much a black and white, heavy contrast photograph that you could probably see in a newspaper somewhere back in the day, you know, so, so like they knew what they were doing. Right. Like they knew they knew how they were selling this thing. Um, so so from the poster to, you know, knowing about the content of the film, like I feel I feel like it should just be OK to not want to watch this film, you know, and and uh, it's probably going against um, my aim for the, this series to say that I prioritize people taking care of themselves over like the consumption of things that they feel pressure to know about or have already seen and as far as uh the the canon of west craven goes and and the horror canon in general if you know people are listening to this and they want to take either of our words for it it's it's neither lesser nor greater west craven it's hard to rate it's hard to watch it's 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 silly it's violent it's um, um angry it's goofy you know but at the end of it all it's a lot of what is in this film, Craven, I think, does a little bit better in his later films, especially immediately afterwards in, in um, The Hills Have Eyes, which is admittedly different in a different setting, but um, as, uh, yeah. just as far as like channeling his anger at uh, the, the conservative um, morals that were resurfacing post-hippie movement stuff, just like not you know put uh i've described the last house on the left as him setting fire in his own backyard but this is you know something like the, the hills have eyes is him like just keeping his foot on specifically uh the the milieu that he knows right just oh, yeah white upper middle class like yeah you're not like, safe from any of this either
0: it's like he's he watched texas chainsaw master and was like i'm gonna do my version mm-hmm. of that it's <laughs> like respect toby my turn and that's the hills of it <laughs> it's like i mean you know he's like combining his ideas no i i i totally agree with you i think that um i think when you look at his filmography as a total he definitely repeats themes and he repeats things uh over and over again in a, in a positive way in a good way i mean you look at something like uh in this movie um he does traps there's like a, a scene where the dad sets all these traps to the house. I call it a home aloneing. You know, he's setting all these booby traps or whatever. And you fast forward. What? Oh my God. Uh, let's see. 10 years, 12 years for a nightmare on Elm street. And you you have something where Nancy's like, I'm going to booby trap my house and does the same exact thing. I mean, he, 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 he took that theme. He's like, I really like that I did that in that movie 10 years ago, let's do it again. But in this new setting and you have for putting gunpowder and light bulbs and he's electrocuting, you know, crude with a door handle. And it just, it's just very much like, uh it, it's a craven film and you can see what he's doing because he's coming from but i definitely i wouldn't call it his weakest film i would definitely call it a little bit off the of hinges because i you can tell no <laughs> one held him back
1: yeah for sure that that was definitely um that's definitely an aspect of the film that that i feel like uh should be taken into account that that i don't I mean, other than this and the hills have eyes, I can't think of any other time, maybe Scream when, or, uh, West Craven was just so uninhibited by a studio and, and a yeah. budget to well, like do the, the stuff that you do.
0: Yeah. I mean, even in Scream though, it was that 24 something years later, 25 years later. Even in that movie, I, I think he was held back because, I mean, it's mm-hmm. violent. I mean, it is dark. And the introduction of the movie, I mean, you you basically have a killer who murdered and raped the main character's mom and then, like... And then is sleeping with the daughter and then i mean they, they kill in the beginning with the boyfriend and like the hang uh, you know on the tree i mm-hmm. mean these are violent violent films the only thing that takes that up is williamson's script which is super you know super funny and super you know I- ironic and and you know meta but i mean when you have unadulterated wes i think he is not afraid to go there i mean same thing with his film like people under the stairs I i mentioned that's one of my favorites Mm -hmm. he goes there in that film i mean he goes to a dark place he has the the it's i mean that is a huge political message about race and about um and about like corporate America and about greed and about like um, just general capitalism in general, I I mean, it's a huge, huge statement and it goes dark. I mean, you have the torture, you've got an abused child, you have um, incest, you have so much in that film that like, I mean, that is like, Craven is not afraid to go there. He's not afraid of those dark themes. So anytime that I'm watching something from him that doesn't go there, I think someone else's hand is on this, or or someone else wrote this because he would have gone there if he could have. I think he's he's yeah. that kind of writer.
1: Yeah, 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 and just filmmaker in general. I mean, uh, I'm glad that you mentioned the people under the stairs because, like, I th- it's a film that that um, I wouldn't call it fun, but I, I think as a precursor to to, to even uh, New Nightmare, it it, it has. Um, like elements of like haunted house and you know cannibalism that that's that's almost too ridiculous to 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 take completely seriously but then when people get killed that's loaded you know like that you know there's no there's no way that as a filmmaker who you know came of age during a time where people were just getting attacked like that you 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 see that in a script and you don't know what to do with it you know like like he's he's a very conscious filmmaker and and um you know i know he's he's very well revered in our community and everything but but aside from the and aside from you know having brought to life two of the most iconic films uh in in the entire horror canon he he, i feel like what what should people should take away from his films is that they are conscious like he he's he's entirely there as a filmmaker even if you know he doesn't have budget or if you know he turns in a film that maybe isn't critically well received um something like swamp thing for instance i mean it's swamp (laughs) thing is super goofy it's super campy it's super fun talked about yeah but it's it's wow. an environmentalist film, you know, and and oh, and absolutely. at heart, Swamp Thing. Um, I think what he represents is 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 a little bit more of a subdued Craven. You know, he's he's not out there ripping dudes limb from limb, but the way that he uses Swamp Thing's presence in the film is is like it, it's it's very much an immovable force. You know, like Swamp Thing is ridiculous, absolutely. and you know he fights a giant. Um, I forget what it is this thing is it's a giant rat a giant just a giant possum just a giant yeah. like animal dude at the end and it's goofy swamp but it's great yeah yeah and i think you look at
0: i think like people like trauma i think probably ripped that film off you know what i mean like <laughs> i mean with, with toxic Avengers and something like, there's like oh we just want a fucking green let's just fucking go it's a monster dude whatever it's cool but the swamp thing did it more eloquently. Me. i mean it's it's great
1: yeah it's like hard it's hard to to look at a film like Swamp Thing and write it off because i think that uh, the main character and Adrian Barbeau's character in that film really hit it off. And there's like, there's, there's a romance in it that, um, has been established throughout the film. And, and it's, it's, uh, you know, as a creature feature, it just, it feels, it feels almost like a, it feels more of a precursor to something like the shape of water than even creature from the black lagoon, you know, (laughs) the romance angle. Yeah. but uh, Going back to maybe, um. of the themes in the last house on the left you mentioned scream and scream i think is perfect in in terms of its execution as its own thing and and in what it does with themes in the last house on the left in some ways i feel like it talks back to it and 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 improves on it you know because you don't only get this animalistic force of nature like krug as the villain stalking the screen for like 80 minutes it's it's you have the nuances of a billion stew, you know, who are two different people who take on the mantle of this killer and 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 execute their plan in in an intelligent way. It's nastier, you know. It's more cynical. Being you know being a nineties kid, being a nineties teenager is is a lot more cynical. You're, you're more aware of the power of the media and how to manipulate people to get what you want so i think he he takes a lot of what he's done in the last house on the left even though it's kevin williams script
0: oh but it's dripping with Craven. i mean when you see the film
1: it's it's kevin
0: williamson and craven together that's what's so great yeah
1: yeah and then from that opening sequence i mean just incredible yeah incredible oh, yeah. and and just brutal just from the opening sequence like it, it never loses its bite and I think as a who done it even even watching it like 20 times in a row and being a super fan of the film there it's still so surprising my heart drops at the at the uh, uh, at the climax every single goddamn time when 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 Billy starts licking his lips it's just like damn oh, yeah so that was a bit of an aside and no, um, you know I got a little heated there and I, I apologize it's just um I don't know I mean, we're, we're uh, we're talking about Wes Craven and his work and it just feels like his, his back catalog has a lot to offer. Uh, And, and the last house on the left, if, if people do want to take the plunge um, you know, there, there aren't any trigger like there aren't enough trigger warnings in the world to cover the film in its entirety, because it, it it does feel like it does feel dirty and it does feel dark and it does feel evil. But, you know, if somebody were, were to go check that out and you'll see the evolution of that style you know and 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 I, I don't think i don't think two films in in a director's filmography talk to each other uh any better than the last house on the left and and scream and it could be wrong because this is all opinion it's all coming from the heart but at the same time it just feels like that. that's what it feels like you know it feels like there's themes of rape, rape revenge There's themes of just uh sydney's you know d- disquieting uh nature you know she's she, she's she has a little bit of phyllis and she has a little bit of mary in her you know but she's also you know everything's in the 90s so i Again, it's, it's very, it's yeah. very media savvy. It's very, it's very focused on, on image uh, magazines were still a thing back then. Ricky Lake was a thing back then. So it was like, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of focus on, 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 on manipulation and image and, and, and you know, how, 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 how you curate yourself to exist in, in the generation. And then the last house on the left, it's like Craven taking a, a knife at everything that, that uh you know 60s counterculture was was standing up for and including uh feminist ideas and ideologies you know like sadie sadie gets uh sadie gets um trashed in the apartment for for reading feminist rags by krug you know because she wants to have other women in in the gang and you know she's she's not she's not a good character and you know when they do finally get phyllis and mary in 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 the room then she's she's one of the first people to jump on them, you know, in and, an and aggressive Absolutely. and, and uh, ho- you know, horrifying manner. You know, there's also a lot of that imagery that a lot of that, that cultural clash is in that film. Totally agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, as we, as we lay this film down to rest, is there anything else you would like to say? Any last words for, for the last house on the left or Krug or Mr. Craven? Rest in peace.
0: I think that Wes Craven is an incredible incredible filmmaker, incredible writer. I think that um, a lot of his films stand the test of time and I think that uh, his work should just continue to be more and more appreciated as it ages. I think that The Last House on the left as a breakout film, as a, as a piece of work that really started his career in horror, is, um, is impossible to ignore. I think that if you're able to and if you're comfortable with seeing it, that you should, just because of its impact on culture, its impact on media at the time, and its impact on horror, and especially the rape revenge um, genre specifically. Um, But uh, it's not for everyone, and it's not something that, you know, I'm going to tell everyone to, to, you know, watch all the time. It's definitely not a repeat view. It's something that I will keep in my mind forever and that I will never be able to forget um, in both bad and good ways. And I think that's what makes it so widely known and talked about is that, um,
1: once you see it, you don't forget it. Thank you, 10. Thank you. I'm going to echo those sentiments and ask you if you have anything to plug any socials. Absolutely. Um, my
0: name's Tenbaki. You can follow me on social, specifically on Twitter at BlueIris04. Um, I have all my links up there, Linktree, BlueIris04. You can follow me on Patreon, Tenbaki. You can check out my upcoming book, Transploitation, um, which I'm hoping to have out later this year, but I don't want to spoil too much now because I don't know how much will be announced at the time of this podcast release. Um You can also check out my music online on Spotify and stuff like that under Blue Iris. Um, And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. This was uh, really, you know, while it was really heavy, it was also really fun to talk about with you, RC. So thank you so much for inviting me. And, um, you know, um, thanks again to the listeners for caring about what we had to say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Tim. This has been a production of the Anatomy of a Scream podcast network. Anatomy of a Scream examines horror using a feminist and queer positive perspective. For more wonderful writing and podcasts, please visit anatomyofascream.wordpress.com. The Anatomy
0: of a Scream pod squad.